We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one way. What is the other way? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, uh, it's going. It's going. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big old mess like usual, but it's going. Talk about big old mess. It's uh, upfronts week here, uh, so every two seconds there's new TV news. It's felt like for the for the past week or so, lots of cancellations, lots of pickups. I don't I haven't really cared about any of them except for happy endings in Southland, but those both, you know, the writing's on the wall. So so now I'm just kind of sitting around waiting to hear about Hannibal because that's pretty much the only show I care about at this point that may not get picked up. I'm gonna wait till we've gotten all the news, all the trailers, all the synopses, everything, all the cancellations, pickups, etc., so that after it's all done, I can start to sort through it and maybe get tentatively excited about two or three things and basically ignore the rest. Yeah, that sounds like a, a a very rational approach, very measured. I I will go for a similar approach of I'm not watching anything until Comic Con probably because they'll have pilots there and then. I'll try to get a better sense. But yeah, no, there's lots of TV news, but we're not going to talk about that. There are plenty of other fabulous podcasts that, that cover the, the news. We are going to talk about some TV, and later at the end of the episode, one of those shows is The Prisoner. Zach Hanlon came on for the DVD shelf with us, and that was so much fun. Uh, I was glad to be able to, to, to revisit that series. You watched it for the first time. Yes, it was a good time. And Zach came on of course he's from the av club and so that that'll be at the end of the show we also we heard from a bunch of you guys this week um well first of all the poll adventure time won in a landslide so we'll be talking about that a little bit later but we heard from uh keith who thinks that bun heads is dead because we've heard other things from abc family but no word on bun heads tears for that it seemed although i can't understand why they wouldn't have put it out of its misery months ago yeah I, so i'm still keeping hope alive yeah, it, it it may be, I, I feel like they're taking a very long time to say no, which would be just the worst possible idea. Like they, they mm -hmm. should, if if they're not going to do it, they should just say say so now and let, let just us. Just rip off the bandaid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. He also uh, said that he loved my uh, Vampire Diaries and Originals rant on TV Times 3 and that it was somewhat cathartic for him. Uh, thank you, Keith. It was very, very cathartic for me to just let out. All of that, that wah, as it were, into the universe. Maybe I should have saved it for here and done a spotlight of shame, but, uh, but no, that was that was oh, that was. We a haven't lot done fun. one of those in so long. It's been quite a while, but nothing's really earned it. They have to really earn it. I, I feel. Oh, well. We've got a whole other pilot season coming up later this year. There will be, there will be opportunities, I'm sure. Um, talked a little it crowd or IT crowd with Jason and Kyle. Of course, Jason, that's the TV holic from TV Times Three, and uh, he's had dibs on the the IT crowd for the DVD shelf for like over a year at this point, but they hadn't set a date for their final episode, and now they have. So he was very excited. I look forward to talking about it with him, as I'm sure you do as well. Yes. I've not seen one iota 
of uh, the IT crowd, but I am very curious. Um, Beth wants to know if we're going to watch old Parenthood episodes over the summer. I don't think that's going to happen, or, or at least I don't think I'm going to, because I just know there's not going to be time. But I, I, it's a nice idea, but it's not as though the show has like a, a dense mythology that I have to sort through in order to get what's going on in the future, so it, it, it will have to be deprioritized. I'm going to probably try to catch up with some of it. We'll see where it falls on my list of, of shows. But, you know, looking forward into the next couple months of TV, there's a lot less that'll be on at a given time because the networks are mostly taking the time off. Um, so we'll see. I, I hopefully we'll have some time for that and would like to would like to catch up with some of the, the earlier seasons. And so glad that Parenthood is officially renewed and coming back. And that's that should be pretty great. Also, Beth and also and Mario did answer our question of how many hours a week. I don't have the number in front of me. I think it's for both of them it's like 15, something like that. And I did not do the math because I'm a coward, but thank you both for, for participating. Um, did you do the math? Oh, no. I didn't intend for me to answer this question. <laughs> um, Ken cleared up the Trekker Trekkie thing for me. Thank you very much. Um, and has a theory about the possible girl that I think uh, works. But I have a feeling they're going a different way. I think your theory, Ken, does make sense and could be it. But I have a feeling they're going to go something more obscure. And thank you for tweeting that bacon quote to me for Mad Men. I hadn't watched the episode yet. Uh, so it was a nice little tantalizing, oh, they're going to talk about how awesome Bacon is in two, you know, one throwaway sentence. And that was, that was fun. Uh, let's see. Shannon and Keith gave me a heads up that Supernatural's on Hulu. So now I never need to watch that terrible, terrible CW player ever again. Thank you very much for that. Uh, talked about The Prisoner with a bunch of you guys. Uh, the Doctor Who finale with Corey and Josh. I am astounded that it has not leaked. And for those who don't know, BBC America shipped the Blu-rays that have that episode on it early. So across the country, there are a bunch of people who have seen the Doctor Who finale, but it has not shown up online in a torrent or anything like that. And people have not started just spoiling it. I mean, I haven't been spoiled. And if you know and have that impulse to spoil me, you're a terrible person. Please don't do it. They must, I've seen the speculation elsewhere, but they must have shipped a note with those saying, please don't be a dick. No, and it was just, an accident. Total snafu. Well, yeah? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So people just have been cool. So way, way to go, Doctor Who fans in America. This is a very strange thing for the internet. Um, Bob won the survivor pool. And I also wanted to mention, I loved the TV wow moments thing that went around this uh, this past week. That was a lot of fun. Uh, did you do a, your top five TV wow moments? I this you saying those words together in a sentence is the first I've heard of this. Oh yeah, it was an article that went up, and I I want to say, uh, you know, I can't even remember who wrote the original article, unfortunately. Um, but uh, so all around for like a day, people were tweeting their top five for you know that day or whatever uh, moments on TV that made you say wow. And so there are a lot of really fun things that people were kind of. Am putting. I supposed to have five of those a day? No, 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 no. Uh, on that given day, I, mean, I would assume like any top five list, it could change. But at that moment, what were the five that came to mind? Okay, fair enough. Yes. Yeah, so I did some Cheers. I did some Lost. I did some uh, The Wire. You know, it was it was a uh, it was good stuff. But uh, the last thing I'll mention is Blaine on Facebook wants to know what is, because there was an article on Slate about this, what is the best gateway episode of Buffy? And also just the talking about gateway episodes in general. That I think they can be tricky because if you show somebody the best episode of a show, then 
then they've just seen the best that the show will ever be, and so the episodes can be a disappointment otherwise. I don't know. What do you, what are your thoughts on ga- gateway episodes? I mean, I think if it's I try not to introduce people to stuff. Like I, I don't like the responsibility, especially if it's a longer series. You do realize that that's a big part of what the show is. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like to think of that that being how like, but it's different because we don't we don't say. You know, we. I, I think it's a better approach just to describe a show and mm-hmm. and you know say, based on if you like these things, probably you will enjoy this. I, I prefer not to say, start with this, and if you don't like this, then you're wrong, and also you won't like it. Like, <laughs> you know, I I, I I prefer the more general, you know, top topical approach. I guess the considerate approach. Oh. The considerate approach. Yes. <laughs> um, also, I wanted to mention we have a, we have an iTunes rating five star review that was actually from early April that we didn't see because it was on the UK MP3 feed, and that's from Boris. So thank you so much, uh, Boris, for for giving us another review. If you put give us a, a rating or review on iTunes on anything other than the U.S. version, please let us know because it is a major pain to to see major pain to see the other. Uh, other other countries itunes you have to go through and change the country and you can only do one country at a time and it's it's a huge pain so please let us know um and we very much appreciate it we would appreciate any uh you know itunes reviews or ratings that you guys want to give us it really does help the show also i wanted to uh say that because of course last week we talked about um a review from foster co who who had asked about the chapter breaks and i figured out what that is on the website the m4a chaptering isn't working right now um, and I apologize for that we're trying to figure it out and hopefully that will come back we, we have I haven't changed anything that I'm doing but I think maybe there was like an update to WordPress or something such that it's not letting you do the chapter breaks and I apologize for that if you have you know if, if um, iTunes will work for you it is working in iTunes the chaptering so that might be your solution but yes I do apologize for that and hopefully we'll get that cleared up for you at sound on site Elia Kazan month anything else going on uh no we're already gearing up for next month which is uh pilot month and we're we're starting to take lists and blurbs and that that's just gonna be massive I can't I can't under I can't possibly overstate how ridiculous that's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be pretty cool. Um, I will mention, of course, we had the Game of Thrones podcast this week with Ricky and myself and a guest. And this week, the guest is Ryan McGee, who is fabulous. You guys just uh, recently heard him here on the Televerse talking about Spartacus with us. So that was a lot of fun. Of course, that's for the Bear and the Maiden Fair. And on the Facebook Mate Kate Watch Stuff poll, this week it's a lot of finales. So uh, I have a feeling it's going to be a close one. So if you want to... Uh, make me watch stuff. Go to go to Facebook and and make your voice heard. But I I think we've been going for a while here. We should probably get into uh, our week in TV. So I guess let's kick it off with the comedies. I mean that's that's not a fish, is it? It's a dinosaur. It's not a fish. Certainly, it's probably a, like you said, it's probably a. Mm. I don't know where it's actually. Bloody dinosaur, isn't it? Where the Loch Ness monster is, but I think it's a Loch somewhere Ness. in Scotland. It's probably a Loch Ness, isn't it? <laughs> I think that's where, yeah, that's where it I think the Loch Ness is its name. I think that it's in Edinburgh or Dublin. You think that Loch Ness is the name of the actual creature? Yeah, that's why it's called the Loch Ness Monster. You're probably right. Yeah. You're probably right. I haven't really thought about it. So let's kick off our week in comedy with the Make Kate Watch Stuff winner, which was Adventure Time. And uh, this this episode was shh. I, I felt like that wasn't, there's an exclamation point in the end. Shh. 
You're a little more yeah, enthusiastic. There we go. Yeah. And I, I've seen episodes of Adventure Time here and there, but it's never been one that I really caught up with. It's been one that I, you know, I'm hanging out with people and they go, oh, you got to watch this. And we watch a few of them. But um, but no, I always really enjoy it when I watch it. And this was no exception. Um, have you had you seen much Adventure Time before this? Uh, no. I mean, I I took this opportunity to because I, I voted for Adventure Time because I wanted it to win. And I've heard great things about it for so long. So I actually over the course of the week, I, I, I sort of looked at a variety of lists of the best episodes and sort of collated them and watched maybe 20 episodes and the thing about it is um i, I believe you watched this episode and uh, and pahoy from a couple weeks ago based on the fact that i mentioned that it was basically the adventure time version of the inner light <laughs> which it absolutely is and like that episode gives you a little bit more of a sense of the the range of the show because like sh is is a, it's, a, it's a fun episode but it it's just kind of that and the what's fun about what's interesting about adventure time is that it oscillates between being really fun and nonsensical and having a big talking wolf head show up at the end for no good reason <laughs> to episodes that are all that are that all have very little humor or, or hint at the shows like bizarre millennia plus long mythology or have parallel universes or et cetera et cetera and the show's got a really like it's it's getting to like Doctor Who levels of ridiculousness, um, or actually, I guess the the more appropriate um, the more appropriate comparison would be like Venture Brothers. But uh, yeah, I, I've I've been really just digging into what the show's about and the in the, the the how can I and the the character mythologies and the um, and some of the things that've been going on outside the show as well that have informed it. I don't know. I think it's it's there's so much interesting stuff to talk about that we can't even get to yet. Yeah, I really liked this episode. I liked all the visual storytelling. I think that's such a fun premise where we're having a no talking contest. <laughs> and the, and the, the bet is you'll be really disappointed if you lose. I love that. Uh, it, yeah, I thought it was really creative and fun. And I always enjoy ad Adventure Time. So, you know, I thought it's just a, at the end when the wolf came in, I was reminded of the the end of one of the episodes of Clerks, the animated series, which has a random, and then there's uh, different animators take over, and then there's yes. a clown car, <laughs> and Bear is driving the car. How is Bear driving? Uh, there's which is something that I love from from that episode of, of Clerks, and, and so yeah, I I enjoy that kind of humor, and I so I think this is a show that when I eventually dive into it full time, I think I will really really enjoy it. I also really enjoyed Pahoy. Um, I think I joined them both pretty equally. Gotta love Jonathan Frakes being the voice of uh, of Adult Finn there. And yeah, it just, it seems like a really, really fun show. It's encouraging that there's a generation of people growing up on Adventure Time. Oh yeah, if I, if I were babysitting or had a kid, I would just sit down and force feed that kid Adventure Time pretty <laughs> much all the time. It's, I feel like you would just instantly, I don't, I know that's not really how parenting works, but I feel, but because I'm not doing it, I feel like that's how it is. I feel like it would just produce an awesome kid. And on the subject of of, of the uh, the clerk series, there's another uh, sort of joke like that in the computer animated episode from a few weeks ago. A, a glitch is a glitch, which was guest directed by. The... Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But it opens with this joke that Jake and Finn are sitting around watching a cartoon, and uh, and Finn says something to, to the effect of, "I don't know how. Like clearly, animators must have no lives. This is so much work." And then he punches himself in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's it's a great show, and I I'm, I'm I can't wait till we have some reason to talk about the whole sweep of it because yeah, there's a lot going on there.
Um, next up is Inside Amy Schumer, and I watched the the pilot, Bad Decisions, and then also the episode for this week, Real Sexed. And I gotta give credit um, and a big thank you to David Bax over at Battleship Retention and previously on and Hey Watch This. Uh, because I was going to skip it because the, the ads have really not been effective towards me. Uh, they look made the show look like something I was not interested in at all. And uh, through David's championing of the show, I checked it out and I'm really glad I did. I think it's like, I think it's hilarious. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, were you planning to watch Amy Schumer? Nope. Uh, I hadn't heard a whole lot of, of buzz around it. And I like I, I no no one like as with you told me to watch it until you watched it. And then you told me to watch it, uh, which is the only reason I did. And I, I really, really dug it. I think what I, I watched the second episode and I'm not sure if the approach is similar in the first one. But I think the most interesting thing to me is the way she's willing to just throw every single possible approach into this 22 minute format. I mean, you've got uh, woman on the street interviews. You've got clearly scripted segments. You've got stand-up segments. You've got segments she doesn't even appear in. Um, you, obviously the um, the uh, elderly training sequence, uh, which was awesome. Generation. Yes, that that was fantastic. And um, of course, the, the bit player of the day had to be John Glazer oh in God. the in the Nutters segment. That was just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah, and I one of the things that I really like in this second episode, she interviews a stripper. In the first episode, she interviews a model. I, I really enjoyed that segment as well, and I'm hoping that we continue to see segments like that each week. I I, I like her discussion of femininity and her look at that. Uh, it feels very authentic, and and it's re I find it really interesting. I think. Yeah, I have a. I, I was tangentially aware of Amy Schumer from her stand up and from even just being on Last Comic Standing forever ago, but uh, but this makes me very interested in her voice and what she has to say. I feel like she has things to say, and um, and also she's just really funny. The, the, that oh Nutter sketch and the Generation sketch, just I was dying watching them. Um, yeah, so so I I will definitely continue watching, and I would recommend if you are not going to be offended by discussion of what is the best possible reaction your girlfriend could have to a cum shot to the face, which they discuss in the first episode. You know, if that's not going to offend you, then you should check it out because it's I think it's really really interesting. Yeah, and I I think what's I think the thing that works best about it is that she manages to blend those discussions in a way in naturally in a way that isn't didactic or annoying, mm -hmm. um, which it easily could be. I, I think that she's, she's a natural at, at sort of integrating those concerns with running gags or with these sort of funny interviews or these man on the street segments, or again, these, these segments that she's not even a part of really. It doesn't feel like she has a, a message or that she has, is coming in with, with the, an answer. It feels like she's exploring and especially yeah. with the interviews, you see that. Yeah, and it's it's all very playful, I think, is is the main tone of it. And like even if an individual segment doesn't really land, which actually didn't happen with the second episode, I feel like it wouldn't be a big deal because oh, well, she tried this, it didn't work out, won't happen next time. Yeah. <laughs> next up, we'll talk about the Family Tree pilot, The Box. So Christopher Guest comes to television and he's bringing and he brought Chris O'Dowd with him and of course several of the uh the Christopher Guest alumni will be in the show as well in various roles. Michael McKeon is here in the pilot as Chris O'Dowd's father. Uh, what did you think? I thought it was 
decent. Uh, it's clearly uh, an extremely low key show that isn't looking to bowl anyone over right away. Um, it's it's got that tricky. I I I think it has so, sort of the same problem as some of the late Christopher Guest movies, where it it's trying to find that balance between naturalism and quirkiness, and sometimes goes too far into the quirky realm and kind of destabilizes the rest of it. I think the the uh, the talking monkey is kind of a kind of toes that line rather perilously. I think, and you're making a face that indicates you agree with me. Yes, <laughs> you listeners can't see it. Um, and I'll, and some of the sort of broader bits of humor, particularly in the last scene, I don't think really work either. Uh, but you know, it's I, I think if it if it finds its its feet, I think it could be really good. And, and actually, I, I think that if the show respects its its sort of dramatic element a little bit more, uh, in the same way that a movie like A Mighty Wind does, I think that it could end up being quite strong. Yeah, it feels like a natural fit for Christopher Guest, and I think Chris O'Dowd works really well in that world that, you know, that kind of voice that he has, that guest has, I think he, he comes in very seamlessly to, to the tone of a Christopher guest show. I thought this was actually sort of hit and miss. I was a little disappointed uh, to be honest, but only because I have such high expectations for Christopher guest. Um, I, I thought some scenes worked, others didn't. I was less, um, I was less sold on the Michael McKeon and the family scenes. I enjoyed the, uh, <laughs> the blind date. I thought was hilarious. It's more broad, but, Serious shades of the uh, Crystal Skull conversations from Peep Show, which you don't get that yet, but you'll get it later. <laughs> I actually enjoyed the last scene, um, but uh, but no, I, I thought you know I, as a premise, I think it works really well, and I think there's a lot of potential. Um, I think it just you know hasn't quite you know if if it actually kind of felt to me a little bit like when we talk about sketch shows where usually they're not going to be all hits, even in a show that we really like, like Key and Peele, you're, there's only going to be a certain batting average, you know, where it's going to work for you. That's kind of how I felt about this episode where it felt like each scene was kind of, though there's a, clearly a narrative throughout the episode, I was kind of, you know, looking at the batting average of each of the different comedic scenes. Um, and on the whole, I, I still enjoyed it and I will continue to watch, but yeah. I think there's definitely better to come. For this show. Yeah, hopefully. I, I think the good sign is that the stuff that's really based in character, like the scenes with Chris O'Dowd and his best friend or with his sister, mm-hmm. you know, those those are the scenes that mostly work. Yeah. And and then sort of the the individual interviews, sort of the more the, the broader bits, those are the things that aren't quite working and hopefully they can retool later. And obviously we're gonna see more guest regulars show up later, so maybe that'll help. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what's coming for us. Next up is the community finale, uh, advanced introduction to finality, and this is not the series finale because it has just been picked up for for season five, <laughs> uh, which is delightfully entertaining. Uh, but you did watch this. There was a furor. There was a furor. There was on, a furor. I had to watch on, I on watch Twitter. Was a furor. Yes, and. I don't know. I mean, it was it was another crappy community episode. I mean, like I'm on record as not being a post, let's say, mid season two community fan. So it's not about Dan Harmon not being around. It's just about I think the show lost its way a long time ago and disappeared up its own asshole. And uh, to me, like I I get why people hated this episode. It wasn't good by any means, but it didn't seem markedly worse than where it was when I when I stopped watching. It seems like it had already disappeared into this black hole of self-referentiality and not being funny quite a long time ago. So I don't know. I did chuckle at the, at the, the Cape gag. That was kind of cute. Everything else. Yeah. It was just a reminder of why the show just does not work for me. 
I think people may have brought extra expectations in on the fact that this could have been the final episode ever. And so maybe they were hoping it was going to go out with incredibly strong or something. But I, yeah, I also was underwhelmed when I watched it. I was expecting to be so angry and they made the worst <laughs> episode ever. And, or, you know, but just based on people's reaction, there was, there was vitriol in those tweets, like all caps. Like, well, was... and many people we respect and, yes. and, and have uh, perhaps even have had on the show were extremely upset. And I was like, really, really guys, this, you can, you know, we, 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 we save our, our spotlights of shame for extreme instances. And it feels like other people, you need to raise your shame game. <laughs> I, I, you know, and if you're more invested in the show, cause I like the show. I've actually really enjoyed a few of the episodes this season. Like the, like the Muppet episode was one I really enjoyed. Um, so, so if you're more invested in the show, perhaps I could see, I could see that, but I'm just sort of a, for, for this episode, it's like, yeah, it wasn't, it was a very silly and stupid premise. It was I don't know who thought that was a good idea for that to be the final episode to structure it in this way and to not pay off the, the season long arc with Chang was very strange, but, um, but no, I mean, I thought it was, you know, not good, but not, you know, the worst episode. Well, maybe one of the worst episodes, but I don't know. I just, I, I expected it to be worse than it actually was. So good job. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't know, just I loved I honestly the funniest aspect of this whole thing was the show getting renewed and everyone just looking on in horror. It was <laughs> such it was like ending sequence of the movie Society hilarious and awful and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to YouTube or actually don't if you're squeamish. Uh anyway, it was <laughs> it was just beautiful to behold. I loved that. Well, let's talk about a a more impressive and satisfying, I guess, uh finale, which is Bob's Burgers The Unnatural, which had had what we had Tina discovering espresso and having some hallucinations. Always fun when when Tina has a dream sequence or something to that effect. We had uh uh we had Gene uh, wanting to play baseball until he realizes what that means. Uh, what did you think? <laughs> Yeah, it was an all right episode. I wasn't bowled over by it. The I, I feel like the show, the season peaked maybe a few weeks ago, and it's sort of been petering out. Although I did think this was better than last week by quite a bit. Uh, overall, though, I thought it was uh, definitely better than last season and uh, quite strong in general. I'm so glad that it seems to have found an audience and I mean got renewed quite a while ago. And I don't know. I'm just it's it's such a pleasure to have this show around. It's nothing like. I mean, Fox has The Simpsons and the Seth MacFarlane army, and this isn't. This is more like peak era Simpsons than like any of those shows, including current Simpsons. <laughs> uh, so you know, to, to, to its continued existence is heartwarming. Yeah, it's been a very consistent season. I've really enjoyed covering it on the podcast, and uh, yeah, I'm again. I'm also very glad that it's coming back next year because the world needs more shows like Bob's Burgers in it, as far as I'm concerned. And I enjoyed this episode more than you did. It seems like I really enjoyed Tina on espresso. Uh, just her her walking up, not running, but walking faster than Jimmy Junior can bike. Uh, just. The visual of that was hilarious as far as, you know. And actually, her dream sequence reminded me a lot of Adventure Time, weirdly. I could see that. With the unicorn. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually very much enjoyed it. And I look forward to to more Bob's Burgers next year. Uh, but let's go to get to um, our, our picks, our comedy pick of the week. We also had a New Girl, Winston's Birthday, which is part one of their finale. Um, I watched Mindy Project. We both watched Veep, Helsinki. What, what wins the week for you? 
I really enjoyed Veep. I have to say the um, uh, as as much as I I feel like Amy Schumer gets the spotlight for just being way more awesome than I expected. Uh, I did really enjoy Veep. It was so awesomely screwbally this week, and I as soon as I saw Dave Foley show up, I was like, mm, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know if he fits into the Veep universe in the way I in or at least the one I think of. And clearly, they were doing some very different stuff this week. It was much more screwball than we're accustomed to. Sort of not really the Ianucci house style, I guess. And I actually thought it worked quite well. And uh, I laughed out loud a lot. I was really glad to see Dave Foley, actually. I thought he was great. So does that mean Aviv gets your pick? Uh, no, I think I'm still going to give it to Inside Amy Schumer. But I just wanted to note how good it was. Fair enough. Yeah, and I also really enjoyed both uh, New Girl and Mindy. Um, on, on Hey Watch This, they spotlit uh, Mindy Project last week. And I was very glad to see that because... It does not get enough respect, and I really have come to very much enjoy that show, and more people need to be watching it. So here's my platform telling you, check, tune back into the Mindy Project, if not this week for the finale, then next season, because it really has come together and is very uh, consistent and a lot of fun. And it's just wonderful to see a show that has a, a central lead who is not anorexic and who is not white, you know, cause there's so few, there's so few of either category, let alone one person who fits both. And it's just, it's, it's such a funny show, but I would also have to give it to inside Amy Schumer. Cause I, it was just so consistent and uh, such a pleasant surprise. So well done inside Amy Schumer, tell her stamp of approval. Let's uh, take a quick break and come back and talk our week in genre. So much more data, time Lords, there's information on the Time Lords in here. Oh, this is just dreamy. Right. I'm allowing you access to memories on Time Lord regeneration. <laughs> Fantastic! I could regenerate now. Big blast of regeneration energy, burn out any little cyber widgets in my brain. Along with everything you're connected to, don't want to. You this me up, well, who knows what we'll get next. Stalemate, then. For our week in genre, there was a lot of shows, actually, but we're, we're going to just focus on a couple here. Let's start out with, uh, of course, Game of Thrones, The Bear and the Maiden Fair, which uh, you can listen to my thoughts uh, about that episode on the Sound of Sight Game of Thrones podcast this week with Ryan McGee, as I said earlier. Uh, but what did you think of the episode? You know, I listened to a bit of the, uh, the Game of Thrones podcast this week, which I was not on, and I, I think that it's kind of a foregone conclusion what I think because I'm not a book reader and I think this is precisely the kind of episode that won't really work for people who don't know where stuff's going because nothing happened. Well, not quite nothing, but very close to nothing happened. And I think even you would acknowledge that. Yep. And uh, this is not really a show where nothing can happen, especially at least not for us non-book readers, especially this late in the season. And I, I think that it's a little bit disorienting that last season we were so clearly building to something and this season, even though I get strong impressions that something or multiple somethings are right about to happen and it's going to be a really big deal and we're all going to be twittering, twittering about it all week, next week or the week after. But I'm just, you know, you know, I'm can we get to the fireworks factory, please? <laughs> is basically where I'm at right now. Um, but yeah, there were some nice little moments, but definitely my least favorite episode of the season. Yeah, that's the thing. It and it is I do think you're right. I do think it comes down to book reader or not book reader. There's stuff that happens this week. You guys just don't know yet what happens this week and we can't tell you what happens this week. So or what happened this week or what significance 
what we saw has or any of that stuff. And so if you, you because this is not a show that spends time on character relationships without progressing the plot, it felt very strange. Um, so I think I see absolutely where you're coming from. I uh, well, I think also the I think the the frustration also is so much of those quiet moments are just stuff things we've seen before, like or you know just elaborations of things we already knew. And I and I was shocked they gave us not one but two scenes of Mackenzie Crook mm-hmm. being a dick to, <laughs> uh, to to John and Egret. Like really, do we need that twice? It was kind of equally useless both times, unless they're setting up something. Which well, I don't know. Maybe they are. Anyway, it, as a, as a single episode, it didn't really work for me. Yeah, and it should work. Each episode should also work on its own, as opposed to you know only work if it only works for the people who've read the book because they know what's coming later. That's a failure of an episode. So you can hear more discussion of this because there's very there's a lot of discussion of this exact idea on on our podcast. So let's go on to uh, our next show. I want to just mention Grim Kiss of the Muse. I think they've done a really good job in, in this episode and over the course of the season in reestablishing um, in building back Juliet and that relationship. And I wanted to tip my hat to them for doing such a good job here. Nora Zahedner was, was excellent casting in this episode. And I think uh, she did a good job and the show did a good job of bringing us back to where we need to be for the finale. Um, let's move on to Vampire Diaries, The Walking Dead. You did not watch this. I did. Nope. My review is up at Sound on Sight. I don't really have anything more to say. I was very uh, surprised by some of the comments from Julie Plack, the showrunner, about some of the the some of the season-long arcs and their their thought process behind the structuring of them. And I was very, I would say I was very disappointed by by that and so given where the showrunners seem to be at where their priorities seem to be and from from those quotes though maybe that you know maybe she was misquoted maybe i'm not reading it correctly um that combined with the substantial downturn in quality uh of this of this season as compared to previous seasons despite some really good actors despite some really interesting elements i'm ready to not come back to the show so i will watch the finale i will review the finale but i don't know that i'm going to watch next season if you want more specific thoughts about the episode just read my review at sound on site and that's kind of where i'm at with doctor who as well nightmare and silver um, I've been very oh, surprised. Wait. You're not gonna, you're not gonna watch Doctor oh, Who. Oh no, no, no. I don't think I've, I don't think I'm ever breaking up with Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who, and I've I've seen all of Doctor. I've seen episodes that don't exist. I've listened to them and watched visual reconstructions of them. Oh, I, I thought maybe you meant you'd been in alternate timelines. The guys over at Bigger on the Inside tweeted out this week. Somebody did the math. I've spent over two weeks of my life walk, watching Doctor Who. And that's only counting if you watched everything once. So, so no, I'm not. I don't think I'm ever breaking up with Doctor Who. But I have been surprised to see such positive reviews of this episode. It was a. Uh, it was written by Neil Gaiman. This is Nightmare in Silver, and uh, he wrote, of course, The Doctor's Wife last season, which I thought was fantastic. I really loved that episode. But despite a really strong performance from Matt Smith, despite finally getting to see Warwick Davis do any sort of acting, as opposed to being funny because he's a dwarf uh you know i i really i did not like this episode because there's just the number of of frustrations you know as i was watching it were were too many so my style i decided that it would be more efficient for me to review it if i just went down here are the strengths here are the weaknesses i really liked the strengths but i really didn't like the weaknesses and so therefore and do it that way and i ended up writing 
twice as long of a review as I usually do. So um, if you want to see what I thought about the episode, kind of really straightforwardly broken down, go to Sound Insight. Uh, what did you think about this episode? Well, and, and I feel like I need to state again for the record, I'm not a Doctor Who fan. I don't know what any of this is about. Uh, but I have been watching this this series, and uh, I don't know. The, nothing's really been working for me the last few weeks. And this one, I, I felt like if you have no attachment to Cybermen, who, who are clearly a very big deal, I think a lot of the episode just falls apart. And that happened for me. I feel like so much of it was dependent on these mental mind games that, frankly, I didn't, I didn't feel the impact of or really understand. I don't, I don't even know if we were meant to understand them. Um, I don't know. It's just as it was one of those episodes that as a non-fan just went, whoosh. Okay. that was me making the over my head sign for the people who can't visualize based on sound. Yeah. It just, there were so many elements where, I mean, and also just the, the two, I feel the need to mention Angie is the worst. The, the, the girl, the young girl. Oh yeah. She's awful. Terrible. <laughs> I don't like to give child actors a hard time. She was not good, and may she needed a better script, maybe better direction. I don't care, but that did not work. Also, the the I can't believe he wasted the potential of the comical castle. It's like a regular castle, but comical. And then there's nothing comical. Come yeah, on, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. And that was, seems like a perfect Neil Gaiman kind of thing because he's he's so creative. He does you know he can do all this really great stuff. He has this wonderful imagination. And then it's completely, I was like, oh, finally, we're going to get the game any stamp on this episode. And then it didn't happen. Um, I like the chess. I was like when they do chess in Doctor Who. I hate that the Time Lords now invented chess because we're apparently not cool enough to have invented chess on Earth. Whatever. Yeah, I was wondering if that was a thing they'd established before or if that was something that was new. made up this week. Okay, just checking. Yay. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I just, and, and I can't. I can't believe I'm not seeing more discussion across the internet of how just kind of gross they've made the doctor at this point at the end of the episode, when he's talking about Clara's skirt being just a little too tight, leery grin. I mean, come on, this is a, this is a show that has been consistently, especially in the, especially in the Moffat era, sold as a as a children's show as a family show the doctor is a hero he's like the ideal of you know the the this wacky crazy guy who goes out around through space and who travels with children and it's totally cool and you have him fantasizing about this companion who he knows nothing about and doesn't really care to know anything about and and just, it's just gross and creepy and I don't like that they're making the doctor gross and creepy. And they have a completely unequal power dynamic. This stuff isn't in the review, which is why I'm going into it. They have a completely unequal power arrangement. He has complete power in that relationship. She has none. He does, he's actively lying to her in every time, every you know moment that he's spending with her by, by withholding the truth about his knowledge of, of her, which he knows now that she wants to know before, you know, because she said as much before her memory was erased. So he has all the power in that relationship. And it's, it's complete. It's just fucked up. Also, he's a, basically, she is a child or a little cocker spaniel compared to him because he's, you know, they talk about his brain. He's just, they're on different planes as far as these things go, because he is not human. And so to make him 
be behaving as a human. It's creepy. It feels she feels like a child as compared to him by the power dynamic, by the differences in them, just because he knows all of space and time. He can feel all of space and time and she can't, you know, is this just because I care about the show so much that I'm so angry? Because you're like uh, just probably. kind of laughing over there. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, I don't really have a strong sense of each one of the previous companion relationships. So I don't really have that metric. Like, I've seen some episodes, but like some past episodes, rather, but I don't have a strong sense of how the doctor should be as opposed to how he's being now. But I, I, I can kind of sense where you're coming from. And it definitely seems like a strange decision to, um, to basically turn the doctor into a straight dude. <laughs> is that, is that what's happening right now? Like to, yeah, they're, they're kind of just turning him into a straight human as opposed to, as they keep that, you know, they keep telling us he's not human, but they keep making him be more normal and more leery. Mm -hmm. And that seems like an odd decision. Yeah, and yeah, Jolie's Coleman is gorgeous. She's hot. Clara is hot. Obviously. I mean, anybody watching this has eyes. So therefore they can see that she's gorgeous. You know, all of her all of his companions are gorgeous. And yet when Amy was throwing herself at him, which happened in an episode, he was like, "Oh, you're human. You're getting married tomorrow. What are you doing? This is crazy. Please stop." And here, it's the complete opposite. After they had spent so much time building up his relationship with River, his wife, and convincing us of the, you know, that that was a real relationship, now he's just, like, ogling creepily this girl that he doesn't know. Yeah, I, I, I thought about that discrepancy as well. And I, I don't know, I wonder if, I, you know, and it begs the question, like, if they cast someone less less conventionally gorgeous than Jenna Louise Coleman, would they still have pursued this line? And then that brings up all sorts of other awkward questions. Yeah, I don't know. I should just stop. Yeah, because well, well, there will be we'll, we'll, we're, we're going to get answers this week um, in the finale. We've been promised answers about Clara. <laughs> uh, so so maybe they, there's some magical answer that will solve this. But I can't imagine there being one. They care way too much about the reveal and to the point where they don't want to tell us anything about Clara so that we can be surprised. But you can't have a main character for on your series. On a series only has two re recurring characters. You can't withhold any information about who one of them is so that you can have a reveal in the finale. That's not how television writing works. I, I will say that I, I, there is one answer I'll accept, which is that she's also a Time Lord and he's only attracted to her because he's attracted to himself. She could be a, another regeneration of the Doctor somehow, and that would be hilarious, but I don't know. I just... We'll see what happens in the finale. Let's move on to happier things with Orphan Black. Parts developed in an unusual manner. They uh, Last week, I'd said that they, they went dark and just made Paul not a good guy. It seems like they are backpedaling pretty hardcore on that this week. Well, I mean, he can be on her side and still not be a good guy. Um, you know, there's we don't really know what he got up to in Afghanistan. We can tell that it's not good based on the bloody face. Uh, but things still stayed pretty dark this week. <laughs> Um, I mean, we got some guy getting his tail cut off, which was a weird uh, bit of synchronicity with Game of Thrones in a strange way. Um, people who watch both will get that and then nod shamefully at me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't, it was an all right episode. The I, I'm not totally the the, dire the direction they go with Elena this week with just making her like kind of a bizarre woman child who is you know also has the foreign element and etc foreigner element rather etc i don't know they're they're kind of just throwing every wacky character trait possible at that character and i'm not sure it's a good idea 
but uh, I mean, she's Tatiana Maslany is selling it the best she can. I'm just not sure that they're really if her development's been all that considered or if they're just kind of being wacky. Yeah. Well, I'm going to kind of wait and see on that, but uh, I definitely think that's, she's the most troublesome of the, the main uh, (laughs) clones that we've seen so far. I think it was really smart to take a week off from Allison. I think the character needed some space and uh, I think the explanation given was good. Some really clunky exposition in there though. Um, and I, and it's also, I found a lot of the, uh, all the scenes with art talking about how they needed to go back and start from square one. Like he sounded like a robot. Like the, those scenes were not very well written. I didn't think. Yeah. But you know, I was good with, I like the little character beat of his, his partner, uh, just be loving morgue stuff. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. And the finger straightener was great. I did like that. Yeah. Um, I, I can't, I couldn't, I can't believe I've never seen one of those on CSI. You'd think it would be, you know, a nice gross out moment, but, um, but yeah, that I, th- I really like, you know, what we know is going to come from, from, from that information. I look forward to, you know, the art stuff coming in together with, with the, uh, the rest of the storylines and, um, yeah, I, I look forward to art and fee and the whole gang coming together as it were should be interesting. Yeah, it feels like they're heading towards everyone just kind of being more or less up to speed, which I think is a much more interesting place. Yeah. So what wins your the weekend genre for you? Uh, well, it's I guess it's got to be Orphan Black, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, and um maybe I give it to Supernatural. It wasn't a astounding episode of Supernatural, but I kind of feel boring giving it to Orphan Black every week. Um, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I I guess I'll give it to just to, to Supernatural or, or Grimm, but... I got a bonus buzz out of Orphan Black this week from being, from large segments outside the diner being very clearly shot about a four-minute walk from my house, so that was kind of cool. Cool. That's always fun. It's always fun. Um, let's take a quick break to listen to some music and come back talk and talk reality. But you just call out my name And you know was one of the performances from the voice this week it's a really small week in reality because it's just the voice though so you think you can dance is starting up tonight Woo! are you going to be watching this season oh i don't know how remind me does that show go crazy long all the time as well i don't remember because i've only been mm. watching it a brief period of time and usually well the thing that i do with these reality shows is that i dvr them and then i skip through all the not performy not teachy stuff because it gets really long. So I don't need to see all of their sob stories because after you know, they, they keep telling me them every single week. <laughs> so I get the on picture. everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, that, you know, really cuts down on the length when you're, yeah, fair enough. When you're watching it that way. But um, yeah, they'll have some they'll have auditions for a while um, on So You Think You Can Dance. But like The Voice, what I so much appreciate about that about that show is that they don't waste our time with people who aren't good. So even in the audition, you'll see people who are at the very least they're good. Maybe they're amazing. And they, they do a good job of usually there's some really like last season, there were some amazing, amazing auditions. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I mean, because on, so you think you can dance, they go and um, they have to do all these different kind of styles. I think what that, that makes the auditions a little more special because everybody's doing their strength. The what the thing that they are the best at in the auditions and they might not get an opportunity to do that the whole time on the competition show. So usually people are starting off on a really uh, solid footing. So I, I enjoy that. Um, about so you think you dance, but quickly just to talk about the voice here, I wanted to say that, um, well, first of all, the America chose the wrong person for team Shakira because they should have saved Karina, even though it wasn't a good performance last week, but she's so much stronger than both Garrett and, uh, and Chris, I was very disappointed in America, and then I was a little disappointed in Shakira for for saving Karina and, for saving Garrett instead of Karina. Though her reasoning made sense that she's going to be able to affect and do more good for Garrett than Karina because Karina's more much more polished and already developed as a singer. That being said, uh, Chris needs to go home this week. The performances on the whole in the top twelve were very strong. Uh, they actually they have a really solid group of performers. Um, some you know the more experienced ones are standing out for me a lot more than the younger or the the less experienced ones but a lot of singers had really good weeks i thought the swan brothers were the best they've ever been i think i thought josiah was the best he's ever been though that song just always makes me miss zenya from season one who's such a beautiful tone and such a great sense of rhythm um for such a young person i look forward to to hearing to whenever her next album comes out she already has one out but i would i would Look forward to hearing more from from Zenya, um, but anyways, getting back to to Chris, he's just he has a lovely falsetto, but he he's flat every week. He's flat on his held notes. He's he's in tune when he's doing the vocal gymnastics, but whenever it comes to these longer notes, he's always flat. And you have to be able to hear that, and you have to be able to adjust it. I've, it felt like being stabbed in the ear with a knife, not literally, figuratively. You know, uh, you guys know what I mean. But he needs to go home. Um, as far as I'm concerned. And for the other person to go home, I thought Vita was solid, but not great. Um, he really got blown out of the water by Holly immediately after him. And uh, Garrett, I think also um, solid, but not great. So those would be my picks for who should go home. But I mean, when you have, you know, th- this is the thing they've been doing on The Voice this season. They've been very actively going for acoustic or stripped down arrangements of pieces so that you can, you know, like there's this is something that they're, selling themselves on because they they're saying they want you to be able to hear the singers voices and to really judge them on their voices so they don't have as much pyrotechnics happening usually and so when you have somebody like judith hill um sitting on sitting on stage at a piano and there's no backup it is just her singing live as she plays a very light piano accompaniment there's no hiding and it's, it's fantastic. It's great. There's no special lighting. There's, she's not moving around. It's just, this is what a really good musician sounds like. And it's wonderful to see that on my TV and hopefully she will go far. And several of the other singers, you know, like I said, a lot of people had really good weeks. 
um, on The Voice, this really good performances on The Voice this week. So I wanted to specifically mention that. I also wanted to specifically mention um, everybody keeps giving Adam a hard time because or making fun of him because he didn't pick Sasha because he picked Amber. He, he set those two up against each other. He also set Judith and Karina up against each other. And they had really, really strong battles. And they're saying, oh, you shouldn't have you know, put yourself in a position where you could lose one of them. Except that that's the point of the battles. If you only have, if you have really big singers and you don't give them any competition in those battle rounds, they don't get better because they don't have a reason that they need to. So push, putting, doing those battle pairings like Adam did this, this season, yes, he did lose some really good singers to other teams, but he made all, every, all the singers involved uh, better. He, he pushed them to, to, to really improve themselves. And he got them a crap ton of fans by having them sound amazing because they, were, they had an equal pairing. So I think they need to stop giving him a hard time. Cause, and, and I think more of the people need to take that, more of the coaches need to take that approach. The single best thing you can do for your artist is make them sound amazing. Give them a really great partner for those battle rounds so that people will download their song and get to know who they are. Um, anyways, I wanted to use our little soapbox here on the Televerse to, to mention that. But uh, that's the extent of our week in reality. So I will stop monologuing here and we'll take a break and come back and talk our week in drama. You don't trust my judgment, do you? I think you see the good in everybody you make, Tony. But I'm here to tell you, not all people are good. I know good, decent people. People I've known my whole life. People I would trust my own children with. Believe in their hearts that he is a cold-blooded killer. And you can't dismiss that just because you don't want it to be true. Now look, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, okay? For you, for mom, for dad, Jared, hell, even Amantha. All I'm saying is for him to be on death row all those years, no one was facing him, and he didn't do nothing to get right with the Lord. And then he gets out, and in six days he gets testified to by some pretty young woman. I don't appreciate it. And all of a sudden he's filled with the spirit? I'm sorry. That seems pretty damn suspicious to me. I don't think... I believe he meant it. And there's nothing left to talk about. This week in drama, we just have two shows, Rectified, Drip Drip, and Mad Men, Man with a Plan. We will be spotlighting uh, Hannibal right after this. Uh, rectify. What did you think? We loved last week. We sp- spotlit it. What did you think of this episode? Uh, I didn't think it was quite as good, but there was still lots of goodness. The whole opening 15 minutes, I have no idea what that was about. Uh, I mean, obviously, W.O. Brown showed up. It was great to see him. There were lots of uh, very intriguing moments in there, but I I don't really know what that was about. You asked me right after you watched it, and I didn't have an answer for you. <laughs> I think they did a really good job of putting us into Daniel's mind because he's not sure if he's awake. He's doesn't really have an idea of what's going on. And when you rewatch it, it makes more sense, but especially that first viewing, it's, it's very, it's very sort of surreal while still being something that's happening. Yeah. Um, and so that was very well done, but yeah, I, I really wasn't sure quite all what all was going on. And, um, I did. Uh, I did very much enjoy this episode, but it, it, because of that, I don't think I connected with it quite as much as last week. 
We did get the uh, the baptism slash revival sequence this week, which was I thought quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the uh, the horrible horrible awkwardness that came afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it was very well executed, and um, we'll see. What do you think happened at the end? Uh, I I I I'd, I'd prefer not to speculate. Not not to speculate quite yet, but I do really like what they've done with Teddy. I think. One of the most interesting positions you can put a character in is being unlikable and correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's precisely what they've done with him. I think we also saw that with Joffrey this week, actually, in a weird bit of another weird bit of Game of Thrones synchronicity. Um, and I, I just I I really like what they've done with him, and I think the performance has been fantastic. I, I I'm a little bit trepidatious actually about what next week might bring. I'm hoping they don't go too far in one particular direction, but I, um, I'm so glad the show's already been renewed. I think that I, I'm really excited to see what they can do with a slightly wider canvas because six episodes just does not seem like enough for a show like this. Yeah, for a show this deliberate, it's uh, a lot of shows benefit from having such a short order, especially if they're more action oriented, more uh, genre, or they have, you know, uh, more fast paced i guess but this kind of a show this contemplative of a show i feel like really does benefit from a few more episodes yeah i, I really like this episode um not as much as last week doesn't have that the same power for me but i look forward to next episode and the finale which is will be the season finale and um really kind of looking back there's nothing for me there's nothing really new in this episode so all the performances i still really like them <laughs> and the yeah. so, I, so i feel like there's nothing new for me to say but if yeah. you if you aren't watching Rectify, try to catch up for next week's finale, and we'll I imagine we'll do a, a season spotlight next week. Um, uh, on, that would be good on Rectify, but uh, we haven't lined up a guest yet, so that may not happen. But <clears throat> people listening, if there are any people listening, especially if you have more Twitter followers than we do, <laughs> let's uh, talk though about Mad Men, Man with a Plan. Um, I, I guess I've come to terms with this with, with uh, Don in this episode. I, I was like almost yelling at my screen uh, at Linda Cardellini throughout the episode and like, just slap his ass and walk out. And she didn't. And I really wanted her to, but I think maybe ending Don's journey in this episode and her, the, 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 the two of them, the way that they do may actually be better for him. He may learn more from it. Don learn. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think he's learned anything yet. I think the learning is still mm-hmm. to come. Uh, I I think that I, I actually really liked the episode. I thought there were a, a lot of really strong moments. And I think the best thing about it is that there was a nice blend of these horrible, horrible, hard to watch scenes from everything with Linda Cardellini to the to the last scene with Don and Megan where her audio just gradually yeah. fades, which was truly horrible. Yeah. Um, in a very effective way. But then on the other hand, we also had everything with Bob Benson, which was quite unexpected. And I'm, I was wondering what they were doing with him and now we're sort of starting to see it. So that's interesting. And one of uh, Roger's funniest scenes ever, I thought, which with the, with the refiring, I actually had to watch that scene a few times. It was so good. <laughs> oh man. That, oh, it was so hard to watch. Oh. Really? I couldn't I could not watch it. It was hilarious, but yeah. It was like, <laughs> oh, you poor bastard. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty great. Um uh, we'll good s- stuff. Nice to see see them try to give a little depth to to Pete. We'll see if that's successful or not. Oh no, it won't be. I, I thought it was just another another way for us to watch Pete be horrible. But not in as painful a way as watching Don be horrible. 
uh, but there were there were some fun comic beats there, and just the the sheer, just it, it's it's fun to watch Pete's life be awful because he deserves it. Um, but uh, I also liked everything with Ted, and I, I think that they're setting up a really interesting dynamic between him and Don. Mm-hmm. And also with Peggy and her yeah. scene was fantastic. Obviously, love that verbal bitch slap, and I love that she knows. You know, it's like you really you could have asked me to come work for you, but instead you found a way to make me come work for you. And he's like, my whole life isn't about you. It's like, um, yes, yes, it is. This decision was about Peggy as much as it was about really any of a number of things. Uh, so to see her be, you know, have that awareness, I thought was really great. And we, you know, we need somebody to to bitch slap verbally or physically. I'd be okay with physically, uh, Don. <laughs> And uh, you think this is going to be the season of Don getting punched in the face uh, as opposed I, to Pete? I think he's so overdue that it may never happen. But um, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see. I also really love that just very quick beat of of Joan and Peggy and Joan being so truly happy for Peggy's success and to have her back there and to see her as an ally and an equal. It's I, I love those two together and, and how that relationship is, has really grown over the seasons. Yeah, we really need to get more of that. Uh, I'm also really digging uh, Roger and Harry Hamlin and they're, they're palling around and we need more of that too. We need more of the palling around in general and less of the ugliness. But I, I do feel like before the season's out, we're clearly heading for some kind of full-on Don collapse, especially given that he's, you know, he does some good work this week, but he's clearly not even quarter-assing it at, at his job and it's gonna it's going to kick him. It's... It's going to bite him in the ass, clearly. The thing is, and this maybe this fully illustrates where I'm at with Mad Men right now. I thought we saw Don hit his bottom a couple seasons ago, right? Yeah, remind me of specifically when you're talking about. Oh, uh, when he was uh, drinking himself to death and and hiring prostitutes to to hit him, and uh, it was like a season long spiral, and then he kind of came out of it and started journaling and we saw him start to improve. And, and so when we have what appears to be the exact same cycle again, I just, I don't engage to it because I've already seen this story. So unless they're going to start doing something new, I'm not engaging with Don this season. I, I feel like it can still get worse. I mean, I, I, I think we see him at his creepiest this week. I don't think we're ever going to see him be more, horrible in that way but i think that he's got a lot further to fall yeah i don't know we'll see we'll see what happens but uh still many many scenes i enjoyed this week um i guess i would give it to rectify over the over mad men uh i'll give it to mad men i thought it was above average for the season lots of good stuff and also i i wasn't sure at first but i kind of like the way they handled the bobby kennedy assassination by sort of sticking sticking it at the end as sort of a horrible bit of punctuation rather than spending a whole episode on it they've done in They've done that a couple times already. I don't think they needed to do it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, and particularly horribly ironic bit of, of uh, soundtracking at the end as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take a break and come back with our spotlight on Hannibal Sorbet. <laughs> Hannibal 
was Emily Klassen singing Piangero from Handel's Julius Cesare, which is an opera about obviously Julius Caesar, and the this an aria sung by Cleopatra. And this was featured very prominently in this week's episode of Hannibal Sorbet. They had an opera sequence. Of course, I loved it. I was gonna say I, w- I was sure you were gonna have something to chime in with on that, because uh, obviously that was not within my realm of expertise. Uh, yeah, I, I, we felt like it was time to spotlight Hannibal, even though I'm not as 100% on board with it as you are. Also, I really like this episode. <laughs> also, you really like this. And I liked it, too, uh, to the degree that it, it stood out to me. I mean, I, I think it was as good as they've done. I don't think it was. I think it was about on par with last week, honestly. Um, I think that it's I, th- I think the show is about as good as it's ever going to get right now, frankly. Like, I'm not really sure that they can do. Better. And I'm not trying to slight it, but I, I feel like the show has some things that it does that no one else is really doing, and it's doing them exceedingly well. Uh, I, I think that the addition of Gillian Anderson was really smart in a role that we no, wouldn't necessarily think to associate her with. I thought it was really interesting casting. Uh, the violence on the show is absolutely mind-boggling. Like, there's stuff that I I can't believe they're getting away with the hands and guts and just I, I, which admittedly wasn't as bad for me as the thumbs and eyeballs we got, I think last week or maybe the week before, mm. but still uniquely horrible. Uh, and the, uh, the effects are fantastic. And I should also mention that the uh, cinematography this week was handled by Karim Hussein, who, if you look into his CV, just the fact that he's working on, uh, on network TV right now is just insane. But he did some fantastic work this week, and I'm, I'm it, the the show always looks fantastic, and uh, I thought he did a, a splendid job. Well, last week's episode was notable because it was the first time we actually saw Hannibal commit any amount of violence. We, you know, we saw him, you know, choking uh, the the Anna Klumsky character, and uh, this week I I was watching it. And it's just like, I, I just, a smile kind of crept on my face. And that clearly makes me a terrible person. But it's like, they are going to 11. They're like, they're committing to this uh, Hannibal stuff. And and they're like, yep, yep. We, 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 you know, we got the first, you know, modicum of violence from him out of the way last week. We gave it the weight it needed for being the first time we saw Hannibal actually be uh, a violent person. And this week they just went to like i said they went to 11 with it and i thought it was kind of hilarious um while also being horrifying and all of those things of course but this just the they're like yep you're watching a show about hannibal lecter about about will graham primarily but yes hannibal lecter's a main character on it so this is what this show is going to be from time to time and uh, i love the ballsiness of it i just I, my jaw was just on the on the ground i couldn't believe that like you said this was actually a thing i was watching on network television yeah it's kind of and it's funny because you know obviously we're not fans of the following around here but i think those two shows make such a fascinating study in contrast because i think hannibal accomplishes through as much like as as much as i have my reservations about the show especially its status as a prequel meaning we know where all this is going ultimately which is kind of a huge sticking point for me uh, I, I really wish I, I kind of wish with all prequels, you know, prequel series, so to speak, that they'd kind of give up on being prequel series partway through and just go a totally different direction just to mess with us. And I don't think that's I mean, based on things Fuller's already stated, that's not what they're going to do unless he's lying, in which case awesome. <laughs> but I don't think he is. 
but even even given all that, I think that the show treats violence as being a thing that is horrifying and also manages to insert this very grim humor that I think only really Fuller could have gotten away with. I can't picture any other showrunner getting that right. And I, I, I feel like those elements really help keep it away from just the sheer ugly exploitative side of the following and other shows like it. There's a weight to this violence. There is a cost to the people who are to the victims, to the people trying to solve it, who, you know, to Will trying to put himself in the brain of someone who is violent like this in order to try to catch them. There's even, you know, we don't get a sense of hand that there's any cost to Hannibal because of course he's a psychopath. He doesn't have emotions like that, but you can see there's a, there's a significant price to pay for this kind of violence and to be for being this close to it there's trauma and they do not shy away from that in a way that something like the following see our spotlight of shame uh, about the pilot uh really just they they want to glamorize the violence they want to use it for shock value and to to make sure you don't think about any of these people especially the victims as actual people and i just the weight that is being placed in the violence on the show the importance of of the fallout and of everything that comes that comes with a violent act i think is one of the real strengths of the show and if shows are on tv are going to be so this violent the way that we've seen over the course of the season and just as a trend right now in television i think they need to put this kind of weight on what violence actually means or go hyper stylized go spartacus go crazy that, and just go fun. That's a different way to do it. But if you're going to try to to make it a grim, gritty, real world kind of look at serial killers or whatever, and and not actually s show what happens when a horrible thing happens in a community or to a person or to a family, then you're you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and I, you you see those psychological repercussions and other repercussions every single week. And I, I do worry about, like, we don't even know if, if the show has a future. Like, NBC was supposed to announce its fate sometime in the next week or so, uh, which, honestly, it could go either way. Uh, what, what I do find interesting is that NBC doesn't really handle the production costs. Mm -hmm. So that might help them. Apparently, Canal Plus does, which I don't really understand much about this, but that's what I've been told. So maybe that'll help them out. Uh, clearly, it's a critical darling. And clearly, I think, not that this is something NBC is considering, but... It's so clearly just on an aesthetic level, on the level of writing and acting. It's just so yeah. ridiculously far above anything else that's even remotely like it. It's not even fair or, or close. It's not even fair or close with pretty much anything on network television right now, regardless of genre. And most of cable. And most of cable. It's it's just so well. I mean, obviously, it's not a show for everyone. It's very violent. Like, all the things we've talked about, this is not a happy, pleasant show. But if if that if you, if you that's not going to be a, um, a game changer for you or, or something that, you know, is a barrier to entry, it's just so much better than anything else that's, that's on network TV right now, on the dramatic side, at least. It's just yeah. not even funny. And I, I've and I've got huge reservations about the show, and even I'll acknowledge that. So yeah, yeah. And it's and and and, and hey, just keep in mind, you know, six months ago, you and I were publicly dreading this show even existing. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> I was so wrong. I'm so glad to be. I've never been so glad to be so wrong. It's like I say, I always hope that these shows will be good, just 
despite whatever, uh, you know, uh, fears or expectations I may be bringing into them. And I like this is a prime example. I'm happy to be wrong about a show looking terrible. The the last couple things I want to mention. Uh, first of all, this has been such a consistent season every week. This is you know, there's just a, a base level of quality to the performing, to the to the writing, to the cinematography, to every element of the production of this of this season. We were talking about how the Americans was such an amazingly consistent first season. I think this is just as consistent. It's a very different show, but week in and week out, there hasn't been a weak link, I don't think. Yeah. I, I don't season. have I don't have nearly the same level of emotional investment. Uh, mm-hmm. with Hannibal as I do with the Americans, but I'll definitely acknowledge that they haven't really had a duff outing so far. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is that I don't know that I would want to follow while I was actually watching the episode because I'm too engrossed. I don't want to be looking at another screen when I'm watching, but uh, Brian Fuller live tweets the episodes first for the East Coast and then for the West Coast feeds. And there's a lot of really interesting information there. For example, this week, uh, we found out that that uh, he has a very clear shining uh, reference in the in the set design of, of one of the, the sets. And he was like tweeting, here's a shot from The Shining. Here's a shot from this episode. And it was really cool to see. And he also had information about the music in the episode, which, of course, as classical music person, I very much enjoyed. Um so, so yeah, I think that's, that's definitely something worth checking out. I would say, I guess, watch the episode and then go back. It's not like so many live, t- you know, tweets that it would be ridiculous to catch up with. So just kind of like go back and see what he was saying. And I think it's uh pretty cool. So thank you, Brian yeah. Fuller. He, he's clearly a guy who, who knows his stuff and delights in nerdery, but not to an obnoxious degree. Ellen Green. Oh yeah. Right. Duh. I, when I saw her in the crowd, I was like, Oh, that looks like Ellen Green. And then later she was talking. I was like, oh, it's totally Ellen Green. <laughs> Be nice to see her again. But even if she's just kind of someone in the background of his you know, social circle, I think that's kind of cool. And uh, like you said, I also really enjoyed having Jillian Anderson and just kind of bringing her into the fold. And and the fact we didn't mention Dan Vogler either. I love the return of his character. And I love the very clear parallel that they tie between. Because at first you think we're going to just be making fun of or pitying this Dan Fogel character. And then Hannibal says basically the exact same thing to his therapist. And I thought that making that clear connection between these two people who seem so disparate was really neat. And I look forward to, to more with each of those characters. I am a little bit concerned about uh, Caroline Devil now getting totally crowded out because I don't feel like they've done enough with her so far, okay. but I feel like she'll get her due later. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always wonderful to see to have her on my TV. It's just like you belong here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, wraps up our our week in TV and our spotlight. A few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf with Zach Handlin. Uh, our intro and outro music is "Sweet Petite" by the Bicycles. You can find uh, a post up at Sound on Site for this episode. We would love to hear your comments. You can also find uh, us up in iTunes with an M4A and an MP3 feed. The M4A feed has chapters, so you can skip around. The MP3 feed does not for those of you whose devices will not play M4As. We would very much appreciate if you would leave us a rating or a review in, in, in either feed. And uh, and if again, if you leave us a rating review and you're not in the U.S., let us know so we can thank you because uh, we probably won't find out for a while. Um, and let's see. Uh, of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. You are? 
at Sucker Howl. And then you can always reach us on email, theteleverse at gmail.com. Oh, I forgot to mention, in reality, I should have. Uh, Mario, your your prize is on its way. And um, I was trying to decide if I should leave it a surprise or post a picture. Um, I think what I'll do is, if you are willing, Mario, please post a picture of yourself with the prize. Because this is going to be something that we send around each each time to the person who wins the the amazing race pool so i think it would be fun to get pictures you know with uh with all the different people with the prize so anyways i'll leave it at that uh what should our question of the week be i'd like to know um you know obviously there's been a lot of pickups cancellations renewals over the last week i'd be curious to see what everyone was most upset about and I wouldn't be surprised if some of those were renewals. <laughs> yeah. And you can let us know by email, Twitter, any of those at the website. Or, of course, we're also up on Facebook. You can vote for the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll there every week. Um, so, and like us there if you want to follow the reviews that, that are happening at Sound on Sight. But, yeah, let us know you know the the answer to the the question this week um at facebook or any of the other places you can reach us um let's take a break now listen to some music and a clip and come back with zach hanlon from the av club to talk the prisoner where am i in the village what do you want information whose side are you on that would be telling we want information Information. Information. You won't get it. By hook or by crook. We will. Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are talking The Prisoner, the 1967 uh, spy sort of trippy crazy <laughs> ridiculous uh show for, from from the uk and here to help us with that from the ab club it's zach hanlon zach Hello. welcome to the show thank you so the prisoner this is obviously one of the most influential tv series probably of all time um but what specifically made you want to talk about it this week uh well well first of all you guys seem to have gone through most of the star treks but um <laughs> No, it's actually one of the first shows that I ever really fell in love with. Um, like, oh, God, I still remember, but they used to air it on the Sci-Fi channel when I was a kid um, so many years ago, back when they actually showed Sci-Fi on the Sci-Fi channel. And Harlan Ellison used to introduce 
the episodes. Um, and I just remember it being one of those, you know, you always have those shows or those books or those movies that, that just change how you, how you understand what storytelling and what art can be. And this was just one of those shows that I was just, I was blown away that somebody would actually do that and put that on the air. I just found like every part of it was satisfying to me. Every part of it was something that I just was, I found endlessly fascinating. Um, and then I just remember watching the the final episode and had, having any idea what was going on and being so happy about that. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I'm also a huge fan of Patrick McGowan and this is probably the best, to me, this is probably the best performance he ever really gave. He He's done great work in a bunch of other stuff. Um, but I just, this is just to me because he also, you know, he co-created the show. He wrote a lot of it and, um, it's just, it's just great. It's just one of those things I keep coming back to and I'm always, I always find something new. Yeah. I saw the prisoner actually when I was a, a teen, one of the kids I used to babysit up the street, uh, his dad loved the prisoner and had like the giant VHS box set. So every time I would go over to babysit, I would see it. And it was one of those, uh, you know, like if you're trying a budding cinephile or something, you, you look up, well, what, what movie should I see? And it's like, oh, you got to see Citizen Kane. You got to see, you know, if you're going to be more serious, you got to see something like Birth of a Nation because that's when all these different thing techniques that are now so common in film, that's where they started. Um, and so I kind of felt like... There was this was one of those TV shows, you know, the the equivalent of oh well, you you gotta see the prisoner if if you're gonna understand television at all. Like I for some reason, you know, this is before the internet. <laughs> I don't even know where I would have gotten this from. Um, the sense of because uh, I don't have any other. Actually, I don't know if any of my family has seen the prisoner, but somehow culturally, it's you know sifted through and and I watched it and it was just so bizarre and uh and having seen so many things that were influenced by it you know ha having seen that first i think that helped but I, I mean just just watching some of of these episodes recently to you know in preparation for this i i was trying to put myself in the mindset of somebody who was watching this in 1967 and <laughs> I, I can't i i, I can't imagine <laughs> well you know patrick McGowan basically got like he never worked in britain again after the finale aired uh, <laughs> Like he got that there was there was a very negative reaction. Well, it's sort of like the ending of Lost, but times like a million. Yeah, um, <laughs> people weren't happy about the ending of The Sopranos. At least they had Twitter to talk about it on. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it, The Prisoner for me is is an interesting case because it's one of those series that I, I didn't watch any of it until we organized this shelf, and so I thought, oh, I, I finally have an excuse to watch The Prisoner. But I was aware of it for a very long time, and actually, probably stretching back to I would say junior high. Which is the uh, one of my even ever since then one of my very favorite rock records ever is uh, Six by the band Manson. That's M A N S U N, not to be confused with Marilyn. And it's sort of a concept album that's loosely themed around the prisoner, as you might guess from the name. And you know, obviously, other references have been dropped elsewhere. And um, finally, watching it for the first time, I, I I I caught about half the episodes, including obviously the pilot, the uh, I guess you might say the last two episodes uh, or two part finale. And then one of the things that's interesting to me about The Prisoner is it has to be one of the only, I guess, prestige dramas, if you want to call it that, that has no definitive running order, except for the first episode and the last two, which I find kind of fascinating. It's also one of the only non-anthology series I can think of that only really has one consistently recurring actor, uh, which is really disorienting. Obviously, number two is in every episode, but number two is a different number two in almost all of them. And uh, that, that's quite interesting. I haven't really seen that replicated in in any close way. 
I, I think what I liked so much about it on this first viewing is it's it's just so totally of its time. Like, yes, I, I would imagine that if I were uh, if I were a, a young British adult watching it at the time, I think I would have also been very upset by it. But it just in terms of uh, the sh- the shooting style, in terms of the both the, the anti-establishment themes and sort of already feeling the fatigue towards those same themes. It feels totally of a piece with the era in a way that I imagine probably most other TV hadn't even caught up to that yet. Yeah. When you think about, when you think about sixties television, different things come to mind, but nothing like, like this. I mean, if you, if you're thinking of the entire span of television up to the present, there are only a few shows that, you know, obviously the many shows were influenced by by the prisoner, but it, it really is a singular show. I mean, aside from the revolving cast, aside from everything else, just the tone of it. It's so, yeah, it is very specifically of its time, and yet it doesn't feel dated to me at all. Well, I, I mean, there are some things that kind of feel dated to me just in the terms of the filming style. It it works in the sense that you can kind of incorporate everything into the general surrealness of the of the show, but like the the way it, the show use, often uses close ups that are shot on sets. Um, like if you ever see a close up, a lots of close up with like Patrick McGoo and it's just like him in front of a blue screen, and always makes me think of that MST3K joke, like oh I'm trapped in another dimension. <laughs> um, and, and, and like a K, like it's, there's a certain I don't know. It, it, it kind of adds to the tone, but there are definitely certain moments. like, And also the pacing is a little slower than we're used to. Um, but yeah, no, they do kind of, it, one of the neat things about the concept is that it sort of allows everything in it, even the stuff that may or may not have been intentional to kind of fall under that sense of disorientation and kind of eeriness. And, the, you know, this isn't really anything you're used to. Well, and watching it, one of the things that uh, I thought was interesting, because of course, when you're watching it weekly on television, that's one experience when you're, marathoning it on on dvd it's a different experience did either of you feel yourself um want like kind of start yelling at the the tv or your computer as you watch no number six of course she's not going to help you everybody is trying to kill you it's you know there's there there aren't any allies in this entire show because i think there's a threat of repetition because it is a guy trying to escape. I mean, actually, it, it occurs to me maybe we should say what the premise <laughs> is, and yeah. I call not me. I'll I'll give it a shot because oh uh, because I I also have a theory about what the show's about that's probably totally wrong, um, but I'll get to that later. So essentially, um, McGowan plays a, a a spy who is just retired, uh, which you know you can infer something about his other role on another TV show if you like. Uh, and uh, he's he's just he's he's just you know put in his papers and retired. But unfortunately, when he gets home after having retired, he gets gassed and shipped off to a uh, a mysterious place known only as the village, where everyone gets a number and uh, told. And he's essentially he is asked why did he resign, and until he decides to answer that question, he will simply be stuck there. That's pretty much it. Am I missing something? Uh, oh, also, there's a white balloon that kills people. That's Rover. Rover. <laughs> well, Rover was originally supposed to be a robot, but they couldn't get the robot to work, so they used a weather balloon instead, which is pretty freaking brilliant. Yeah, and so much better than a robot yeah. would have yeah. been. Well, the interest, I mean, one of the interesting things about the show is that you say that, yeah, the, the, his, his role as a spy who, who, who quits, he, he could be connected to his earlier show, um, 
danger was it danger danger oh. man secret danger, danger man. man yeah yeah something like that um and that's possible but it's not really necessary because i think it's like as you as the show goes on you gradually start to realize that um no logical explanation could ever really satisfy everything that goes on it's the show is so while well, the show has like this terrific genre concept and sort of premise that to, like the engine is so perfect to keep it moving but at the same time, it's never going to come out with something like a perfect explanation, which justifies everything that happens, especially since like you realize like about, I don't know, halfway through, three quarters of through, you never find out exactly why he resigned. But you don't need to because, you know, like by the end of the show, you know that he, he comes to the closest he comes. He says it's a matter of principle. And you realize this the is whole, a matter of conscience, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the whole the whole point is he's in a he's an individual against uh, uh, conformity. I mean, that's pretty much the premise of the show is that he's I think at the heart of the show is that he's he refuses to be a number, be a cog in their machine. And that the whole point of the show is him, him getting uh, beaten down. Um, I just wanted one thing I wanted to say really quick is that you point out that, yeah, at, for the first few episodes, it does kind of get it does threaten to get a little old that he, you know, he keeps trusting people. And, oh, no, this person is also a mole. <laughs> but um, uh, the, the show as the show goes on, he gets he gets increasingly more savvy to what's going on. And if you notice in the last, like, like kind of the last third or maybe even the back half of the show, it stops being about them screwing him over because he keeps fooling, falling for their tricks and more about him screwing them over. Like yes. they keep trying to break him and he keeps refusing to break, which yeah. is a pretty yeah, you, cool shift. Yeah, you keep seeing, um, at that point, the focus kind of shifts because you, you, you start seeing a lot more from their perspective, which kind of reinforces my whole reading of the show, which, I mean, most of my readings of things are totally... Um, me projecting because that's how I like to do stuff. But um, <laughs> I, I totally think that The Prisoner is a show about a, a guy who loves to be oppressed and kind of conjures this whole universe of th that is seemingly designed specifically to oppress him just so that he can outsmart them and in sort of new and exciting ways every day, which I, I, which I feel like in the finale when you get back to London and it seems to have taken some of the um taken some of the aspects of of the village back with it i kind of feel like it bears that out but i, I could be totally wrong i think that's a that's a, a possible interpretation it's a fair reading i mean the the my favorite is the hiding in plain sight who is number one you are number two or put a comma in there you are number two <laughs> uh which you know sorry you are number six not number two. Oops, <laughs> my bad. Uh, but yeah, the, the I don't know where I came up with this because I was looking online briefly to see where this theory that that I have just sort of come to assume as well known fact by everybody who's seen the prisoner came from, and I couldn't find it. But um, the, this notion that he, as one of the things he did as an agent, was to con construct or come up with the idea for the village. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, right. and and then he uh, retired because he decided it was wrong or something, and then they ended up. So so he's number one because his whole thing was his idea. And when you when you watch it with that perspective, because of course this time watching through the, the episodes, I already had that perspective on it. Um, some of the things the various number twos say really seem to go with that, but that could just as easily because this whole thing is a construct in in his mind but but no that that's the uh, the take that I have on it which of course explains some of it but it, like you were saying earlier Zach it doesn't explain everything and I, I kind of love that the show doesn't care yeah yeah it's uh 
I have this. I, there's this thing that, that that's been coming up a lot lately in, in critical debate. I think it was about somebody posted. It's about that. I was kind of in response to that Room Two Thirty Seven documentary yeah. about the people who are so crazy obsessed about The Shining. Um, I, I have this resistance to the crossword puzzle approach to art. Um, I, I completely understand it because I do the same thing myself. Whenever you get something that doesn't quite fit, you want to sort of make sense and have a solution to it. Whereas great art, it should have a fundamental theme or some sort of big thing that connects it all together, makes it feel of a whole. But at the same time, it's not going to have a one-to-one answer ratio. Like I, to me, I mean, I think these are terrific. The both both of the things you guys talked about, I've heard, I've heard the one, um, the one that you mentioned about the him having designed the the village. I have heard that before somewhere. Um, but to me, that what I love about the show is just the, the, the sort of, it's almost like a myth. or Because like, at the end, you know, he finds out, at the end, there is no real solid answer other than the fact that, you know, every man is his own prison. Um, mm-hmm. Number one, one is I. Um, and, you know, that you, could, you could sort of try and make that, fit that into a framework that has a logical sort of, uh, a sort of concrete story to it. But I, I just like the idea of the show as just this sort of trip, of, of like, it's sort of a series of, of questions that a person keeps asking himself, and ah, uh, that got really pretentious really fast. I don't know. To me, <laughs> to me I, I just love the the sense of it. I, to me, just this one man who is just so angry about everything, and like you just watch McGowan and so many conversations, he just looks like he's working so hard not to scream or punch somebody, and yeah. it's just I find that endlessly fascinating. Well, I, I think there are lessons to be taken from the prisoner that more shows should have taken. I think that, I mean, Lost, for instance, I think was at its best when it was sort of just conjuring questions and exploring a feeling. And when it tr- when it decided to try and answer stuff, it was almost always a bad idea. Um, and I, I, I think that actually one of the only shows recently that kind of goes for broke the same way that the, uh, that the last episode of The Prisoner does was actually Awake, which I don't think it got enough credit for, uh, was that show went out just a total balls out blaze of craziness. Um, not quite as crazy as this, mind you, but pretty <laughs> crazy. Uh, Twin Peaks kind of did that too, but too too often I feel like people and I, I guess there w- there wouldn't have been the same outcry at the time of the prisoner. But I feel I wish that showrunners had more confidence to just sort of trust their instincts and just be nuts instead of trying to explain. Wait, wait, wait. You say that there wouldn't be as much outcry. Patrick McGowan literally went up into the mountains for a couple weeks <laughs> to get away from people who were hounding him. He was. <laughs> Like, he, he ran away from angry fans in a time before the internet. We, we should stress, though, that if you haven't seen The Prisoner, Fallout is insane. Like, the, the rest of the show, you know, even if it gets really weird, you can pretty much make a story out of each episode. Fallout is utterly surreal. It's almost impressionistic. Like, it makes Lost look like the finale of The Shield. Like, everything, like, it, it the, nothing in it really... I love it because it's, an, it's like it's almost an emotional experience. You just watch it for the rush of it and for the the, the style and just everything he does. But in term, if you were actually really invested in the very specific story, like if you really wanted to know who number one was and you really wanted answers, you, you would have gone insane. I mean, that just would have been... Oh. Well, especially, again, that you've been watching this show for a season, you know, September to February. So it's not like, you know, something where you're, oh, you know going in that there's only 17 episodes or, 
you know, there's other people have told you various things about the show. So you have some sort of expectation. This was late sixties television. This didn't happen. And, and I love how, because the, the finale is sort of a two parter. And in the first part of that um, has once upon a time, once yeah. upon a time, you feel like it's weird when you're watching it, you know, it's one where you can, you can see what they're doing very, very easily, especially with a more modern perspective, having seen, you know, I, I feel like that once upon a time does is, you know, reminiscent of the awake finale, or I should say the other way around. Um, but, and so you think that's weird, but you're following, you're getting it. It's cool. You're on top of it. I know things now that I, I know how to watch TV differently than they did in the sixties. And then you get to the actual finale <laughs> and you're like, never mind. I'm going to get down off my cocky horse. <laughs> Although there are many trippy things about the finale, but how trippy is it to hear the Beatles? Oh my God, that was crazy. <laughs> I didn't even thought of that. Like you tweeted yeah. about that, Kate. I hadn't even thought about how, yeah, yeah, you were completely right. It's so surreal. Well, and it's also not only the, just the fact that it's the Beatles is weird. And I remember having a similar feeling watching some old uh, Doctor Who, one of the, the very early episodes of the first Doctor has them watching you know the beatles i i think it might have even been on sullivan um but 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 this is all you need is love you know like they had that brief bit of it on Mad Men last year but you know they went for a deep cut you just can't play all you need is love on television it's too expensive yeah and it, it's it's yeah and it has like I, I'm particularly fond of its use in the episode, and I, I mean, I, I was also fond They're of all how they killing each other while the music yes. talks about all we need is love. Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, not not subtle, but effective. Um, it, maybe awesome. not quite as subtle as as what Mad Men did, but hey, I'll take it. Um, well, it's awesome. It's it, it so is, it amazingly awesome. perfectly used. Uh, but to, to get back to to Magoon for a moment, I totally agree with what Zach said about watching his performance. It's just at first in, in the for the first couple episodes, I was a little bit concerned about that actually because he seemed kind of one note to me and i was worried that it was just going to be like an entire series of the last 20 minutes of the wicker man remake um if anyone knows what i'm talking about uh luckily that that didn't turn out to be the case and i i think what one of the more one of the more interesting things about the show is because especially in the second half he spent so much of his time just screwing with people that by the end i mean he's not even really a character in, in an interesting way, he's just sort of a, he's just a reactive being. He's just sort of, he's playing off things around him, but he doesn't really have a core of his own. And it's a, it's a very strange. It's almost like we, our sympathies shift to the village. Mm -hmm. Like the yeah. last few episodes, like we're from that perspective all of a sudden. Well, and we're talking about the village. Usually that means number two. And uh, I, I think they brought in a great group of people to play number two, but much like favorite episodes, which we will get to, I gotta ask, who's your guys' favorite number two? I gotta give it to Rumple. Yeah, it's really hard to pick another one. Um, That's Leo McKern for those who are not familiar with Rumple of the Bailey, and if you aren't, you should watch it because it's awesome. But yeah, he's he's great. Uh, I have a soft spot for the um, the rather dull one who takes over for the episode Hammer the Anvil. Patrick Cargill. He, he's he's the one that that number six just totally messes with, just to the point of. It's it's like not even fair. He just he just totally destroys that guy's life. Um, I have a soft spot for um. Well, I think yeah, McCurd's got it. And I also like uh, the only other one who appeared twice, uh, Colin Gordon. He was he was very slimy. Um, but I, I always like uh, Georgina Cookson, who played. Um, and I don't want to spoil. Uh, I, I I just spoiled it. <laughs> no, well, you, uh, you, yeah. the the number two in many happy returns is is fantastic. 
Um, yeah. And for reasons that that will become obvious if you watch the episode. But, yeah. No, it's it's such a it's such an interesting. Um, interesting concept and it's also i think it's really effective i mean i think you could have established this whole relationship of six fighting against a consistent number two but with you know we don't we don't know anything about number two we we learned certain things about his character obviously because he's so stubborn and so determined but but we don't really know very much about him and so if you spent too much time trying to establish a relationship without knowing one of the two people, I, I feel like, especially since we kind of know he's not going to actually escape, that, that wouldn't work. And so instead to have him kind of taking on and taking down a series uh, of oppressors, you know, it's more it's more interesting. And that's actually something that kind of... I, I, I'm curious if you guys watched it. Did you guys see the, the remake or the... Oh, I the... have to review it. <laughs> Yeah, because they, they kept Ian McKellen as number two for the, all six episodes, as I understand. I didn't watch it because, frankly, it looked oh. terrible. Um, but, I, was, was so, thoughts, Zach? Spoiler alert, it was. Um, <laughs> I actually, yeah, that's actually how I got to, because I, I reviewed the show. I, I went through and did Classic TV Club for all the, the Prisoner episodes. Um, and just, like, we got to justify it because the, the, the remake was coming out. And I had watched that, like, they sent out screeners and I watched it like a week. It was just... God awful. Ian McKellen was good. I mean, that's not really a surprise, but Ian McKellen was good. I barely remember now, but it was much more literal than the, it was trying to be trippy, but it had like this weird sort of, they weren't really, it was very sort of, I don't know. In a way it makes you, it made me appreciate the original prisoner even more because it shows what would have happened if you'd had that sort of pretentious, surreal, Oh, we're doing deep things um, without any sort of grounding and like solid storytelling. It, it's almost unbearable to watch. And it was not, a, not a good role for Jim Caviezel either. Well, I, I haven't seen it, but I, I feel like one of the things that people that people don't mention when they talk about the original prisoner is that it's almost campy. Uh, like I, I, mm-hmm. maybe not quite campy, and I certainly by the end it's not campy. It's something totally different. But it's got a sense of self awareness and a sense and a sense of lightness to it. It's never that heavy, even when things do get a little bit heavy. There's a there's a nice sense of, if not humor, maybe wry detachment. Yeah. In, in yeah. the series, that really helps ground it. And uh, and yes, it's I, I feel like it's self aware. You know, and that along with, you know, even just looking at pictures of the two, you have this gorgeous village for the original prisoner. And then you have this spot in the middle of the desert for for the remake. And I do think, you know, um, Bill Bill Macy wrote up for TV and film locations month. He wrote up a a piece about this, the village in the prisoner. I do think that just the, the tone really of the town, it's so colorful and and it actually reminds me of, because uh, of course I always go to Doctor Who. It reminds me of uh, the Happiness Police, I think it's called. It, the, of one of the ridiculous um, Happiness Patrol. Sorry, one of the ridiculous Seventh Doctor stories that is so incredibly heightened. But but I, I feel I feel like yeah, that element of self awareness and of of how heightened it is 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 really important to make it work. It stays just the side of campy, and that's a difficult line to tread. Yeah, I, I think it does have a good sense of humor to it. I mean, and I, that 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 almost makes it more menacing. The village is very chummy, which makes there's this like undercurrent of malice behind all. Like that's that great bit in the uh, in the first episode where he goes to the village store to buy a map, <laughs> and, and and he goes, no, 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 I, can I get a larger map? And, and the guy goes, well, we only have them in color. He's like, all right, fine. And he gives him a larger map, and it's literally just the map he had, but 
blown up larger. Like, it, <laughs> like it, it, it's, and I also, I also, the other, the other reason I mentioned this earlier, but the other reason I think the show still works is that the central concept is, if you, even if, even if you take away all the thematic depth, all the potential subtextual stuff, all the weird stuff that Patrick McGowan brought to it, a central concept is a great idea for a TV show. It gives you it gives you a very simple premise, but it gives you an engine that gives you all these different possibilities for stories. And every week you come back to the same idea: is that this guy wants to escape, and this village has everything in its power, and it wants to break him, but it can't kill him, so it has to keep bringing him back and screwing with his head. I mean that, and that keeps giving you all this stuff so that so that it allows you this freedom to get weirder as it goes. And it, it's actually, I mean, in a way, it's one of the nice things that the show was canceled when it was because. It could have gotten kind of old hat or could have lost some of its steam, but as it is, it's just this really curious and, and, and fascinating and terrifically entertaining gem. I just had the exact same thought. 17 episodes feels like exactly the right length for this. Maybe even slightly shorter, but certainly not longer. Well, and originally uh, it was, I think originally he was thinking of 13 and they wanted 26 and somehow they ended up, he's like, I don't think there are that many stories and they ended up at 17. But, but yeah, but shall we talk about specific episodes? Sure. So favorites? Well, I, I the the last two are essential for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I I really like the uh, the election episode, um, free for all. I think it's called. Yeah. I I always think of um to me the platonic ideal of a it's hard to explain the platonic ideal of a prisoner episode to me is going to be the chimes of Big Ben. Yes. Because um, that's the episode where it's not the weirdest of the series. Um, it's not as as intense as they get, but it's just such this. Like every other episode, sort of like, kind of risks back on on having that as we're capable of telling this kind of story. Look, this is exactly what you want to think of when you think of the prisoner. It's got a clever villain. It's got a lot of really great jokes. That whole uh, it means what it is with the art, and it's got a great central relationship, and it's got a great twist at the end. Um, it's just really well crafted, and I think stuff like that kind of gave them the freedom to just go wackadoo. Uh, later in the show. But yeah, that to me is always the one I kind of... That that would probably be the one, either that or Arrival would be the one I would show people to try and introduce them to the show. Yeah, I also enjoy um, ABC, A, B, and C, I should say, yeah. in, in going into his his mind. The, 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 the fake science of the show is really fun, I think. And it's interesting, you know, what what of the various things that they talk about here feel like just, you know, a few maybe a decade or two or you know before their time but we were going to get there and which ones are just no we we can't plug something into your brain and see a picture that's not <laughs> it's not how it works um but, but i really enjoy the the you know the fake science and the fake technology or or, or spy gadgetry as it were that that's on display here it, you know it, it's a more it's it's a little bit more creative i guess than even things like uh, like even Star Trek would get after the original series where, yeah, that makes sense, but you basically kind of just took something that was already there and, and, and did a sci-fi kind of version of it. This feels uh, just more creative, I guess. And I guess I, I, I feel like I shouldn't assume that maybe they were having some happy brownies when they were writing parts of this, but... I don't know where they pulled some of these ideas out of because they're just crazy and hilarious. Well, and one of one of my favorite things reading up on the Wikipedia entry was finding out that they apparently had very little notice when they got canceled. Uh, It depends on who you ask. Oh, really? Yeah, because some sources say he wrote the the final episode in two days, 
And some sources say he knew there were going to be only four episodes left when the, to, to shoot in the second block of shooting for a year. So it depends. Huh. Well, I'm going to go with the myth and okay. say that it feels like he definitely wrote the last couple episodes on a crazy drug fueled bender. That's what that's what makes emotional and historical sense to me. <laughs> well, this is definitely a show that's had a lot of impact. I mean, have you guys both seen the, the Simpsons episode where Homer ends up in the village? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and, and just some of these other, you know, these other trips like um be seeing you and some of the different quotes that that in the show pop up kind of all over pop culture. Um, what for you guys is is the the biggest takeaway or the biggest influence of the show? Because we've talked about the show, but we, I don't feel like we've really talked about how, how other shows, like how this changed television. Well, to, to dodge the question a little bit, I feel like the when I think of the prisoner now, having watched it, I'll definitely always closely associate it mentally with sort of other. Um, sp- specifically British countercultural, but s- slightly satirical, but also slightly askew uh, works of art. Like I-, I would say the original Wicker Man, which is a few years earlier, and uh, also Terry Gilliam's Brazil. I mean, they they have this very specific sense of how to pull off social satire and social commentary that doesn't really let anyone off the hook. And uh, I re- I really appreciate that. But I do feel like the the what's in the box school of storytelling. Um, which, you know, J.J. Abrams could say something about, uh, definitely owes a lot to The Prisoner. Yeah, it's hard for me to know exactly what's directly influenced by it. Um, I do feel like stuff, I don't know, even if it wasn't directly connected to it, I always associate stuff like The X-Files with something like this. Um, and, well, at Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. um, Twin Peaks, like that idea of, a, of this place being, it's a cliche to say the place is a, its own character, but it, in this case, it really is. And Twin Peaks, like that that sense of a, a place set apart from the world where, where anything can really happen. Or or even a, you know, picturesque, uh, sort of idyllic-seeming community, and you get underneath, even just a one layer underneath, and it's actually really screwed up, and there's a lot yeah. of dark stuff going on. I mean, there's, I think there are a lot of really close ties you can you can see between something like Twin Peaks and, and, and The Prisoner. Even just the way that this showed us storytelling, where if you know it's okay to not answer a question it's okay to have a series long mystery that never really gets solved yeah i actually, i just looking at the wikipedia page apparently number 6 in battlestar galactica was a reference to the prisoner yep. that so you know they oh and i've also seen i also were really liking nowhere man this really short lived tv show mm-hmm. um with bruce greenwood that was was a lot of fun but and need, and needs to get out on dvd so i can yes. watch it cuz i've yes. heard so much about it never seen it um yeah no i th- i think the I mean, it's just, it's, like I said earlier, it is a truly unique viewing experience. And it's, I get frustrated every now and again with that that notion that there are only six stories. And I feel like something like The Prisoner is a perfect example of why that is not true. Mm. Uh, it is possible to be unique in art and to do something that nobody has thought of before. It's just very, very rare. So I, I would say... To anybody who's listening who hasn't seen The Prisoner, you should check it out. If, if you are a fan of television, if you're curious about the progression of of what you could do in an hour of television or in a season, it's definitely worth your time. Um, except maybe if you're going to want answers. Don't. <laughs> yes. Do not watch this if you're going to want answers. 
If you were annoyed by the end of Lost or Battlestar Galactica or something because they didn't give you the kind of answers you wanted, don't watch The Prisoner. Uh, or or watch it watch it with because uh, we we should also stress The Prisoner also is much weirder than than Lost or Battlestar Galactica oh, yes. ever really were. So it, it it does at the very least you can say in the defense of The Prisoner that first of all the time investment is nowhere near as long so, and the there aren't the kind of character relationships you get in those other shows. And you also, it's it's pretty trippy from the start. Like, you know, you're getting into something pretty weird. So yeah. there is that, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, do we have any final thoughts on The Prisoner? I guess those were... were oh, I, you know what? My final thought, as ever, will be the music, which is awesome <laughs> and so very specific. Um, do you guys have any other final thoughts on The Prisoner? Uh, watch it. And on on the subject of the music, my my favorite motif is just that, like, two-note, acid guitar riff that that pops in every couple episodes i love that i i just it's one of my favorite shows and you should totally check it out if you get a chance it's great well zach thank you so much for coming on where can our listeners find you online uh my my writing appears weekly at the av club i review star trek deep space nine every week and a couple other shows and i've also started writing for uh the game of logical society through the av club and various other places around the web. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, Z Handlen, H-A-N-D-L-E-N. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be seeing you.